Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's a treat to be with you. I flew in on Thursday from Burundi, which is uh, the poorest country in the world, the hungriest country in the world, the, um, the saddest, most miserable country in the world, the country with the highest rate of malnutrition. So that's my context. So some of you are working in very broken areas, uh, and you, you can relate or relate a bit to the sort of the, the, some of the stuff I'll be talking about, the, the, the poverty, the grimness, the darkness. And, and yet, I, I guess in saying that, I am coming from a very different context. And pictures are going to, hopefully going to come up on the screen before we launch into the passage. I, I'm talking quickly because there's a lot I want to get through and respect the time here this morning. Are there any pictures coming? Great. So if you didn't know where Burundi was, there, that's where it is. It's a piddly country in Central Africa that seemingly no one gives a flying monkey about, but actually God passionately cares about. And it is extremely broken right now. Rwanda, you'll have heard of. Rwanda and Burundi used to be one country. And... Uh, and I went out there. It was the most dangerous country in the world when the Lord called me there very dramatically when I was in a, uh, a marketing position down south uh, 17 years ago. And uh, so I went out there. I knew, I, I knew it was the most dangerous country in the world because my mummy, for some reason, sent me through a newspaper cutting from the Guardians charting the most dangerous country in the world. I don't know if she's trying to encourage me. But uh, anyway, I thought I'd die before the age of 30. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. I'm, I'm 43 now and still alive. And I thank the Lord for that. But uh, you, le- you learn loads of lessons in very extreme conditions that, uh, you know, things are just a lot more black and white that I want to share with you this morning uh, as we look at the scriptures. If you've got your Bibles, we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 30. But uh, next picture, please. So that's, uh, so my wife and three kids right now, they are in Bujumbura. That's the capital. Size of Wales, not a big place, 10 million people. Next one. And this is what's been going on. I'm going to roll through these, but this is uh, what's been going on. In words, these guys will be dead, basically. They'll either be dead or have fled the country or will be being tortured right now um, because uh, they were protesting for something that didn't go their way and uh, things have rumbled on for a year, a year and a day since this crisis kicked in. So there was a, a, a 13-year civil war and that ended in 2005-ish and then we just had a decade of peace and now it's hit the fan again and it's uh, incredibly bleak. You know, I have just cried, I just, I might cry this morning. I, 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 you know, the tears are just flowing in my life because um, these are people I care about passionately. And it's very, very depressing. And yet the Lord is still on his throne. And I, and I cling to that, and I don't say that glibly. I, that's something I have to wrestle to believe. And maybe you do too in what you're going through in your life. But that's reality, isn't it? It's got to be real with each other. Next one. Keep going through these. Uh, just a few books if you want to buy them afterwards. My, my sort of whole... Philosophy, if you like, under God is how far is too far when, God went, when Jesus went that far? And he didn't go that far for us just to be nice people, did he? He went that far for all of us to get our hands dirty in a very real way. That's the story of the last 10, 15 years. All I can say is that in answer to a prayer I prayed 17 years ago, uh, we've seen a couple of hundred thousand people come to Jesus. It has been absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, that book... Uh, that's a, that's a daily devotional. If you, want, if, you, if you resonate with what I'm saying this morning, you want a daily shot in the arm for, for radical discipleship, that's you know, two minutes of your day. It can't be rubbish because it just got voted devotional of the year. So if you want to grab that, do grab that afterwards, and that's terrific. Next one. There's my family. 
Uh, went out there as a single nutter, totally expected that I didn't die, and then found a, a beautifully normal woman to moderate me, and, uh, and she's rock solid, my Lizzie, and uh, my, you saw my daughter there, my daughter, I don't get tired of telling this story because it's, uh, it's the bedroot of what I want to share with you this morning, but my daughter is named after the next picture, that little girl there, who when I held her, can you go back one? Uh, oh, it's missing. You saw uh, there's been a skip. But there's a little girl there that I was, was in my arms who then became this big girl there. And that little girl that's... Something's gone funny with, with, with the slide. Um, that little girl that I was holding back in 1997, uh, she, was, she was found down a toilet. So, you know, her mother was obviously desperate and chucked her away down the university hospital toilet. And, and she didn't die because her neck was caught in the U-bend. And they fished out this, this, this discarded piece of flesh. Uh, and she was still alive. And, and they cleaned her off the poo. And, and they, they fed her through a straw like a little bird. Now she's growing up. She is that gorgeous girl. And, uh, and then in God's beautiful weaving of our lives, 18 years later, she ends up being our babysitter. Next one. And, and, and yet before I had a daughter, I, I, said to the, I said to my wife Lizzie, I said, if the Lord gives us a daughter, we're going to call her, name her after this girl. So those girls share the same name, the little one, because of the big one. And the big one, when she was born and when my friend rescued her and adopted her, she gave her the name, which is the gospel, because her name is Grace. Yeah. I love that name. It's the best name, isn't it? Because that's my story in a much less dramatic way. But whether we're multi-murdering rapists, purging idiots in Central Africa, or very self-absorbed people here in Manchester, we all need God's grace, don't we? And he reaches down to the pit of our lives and he picks us up and he cleans us off. And some of you, 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 he can clean you this morning for the first time. You don't really get this stuff yet. But that's what Jesus did on the cross. He died in your place so that you could be, re he reached down. You know, religion is trying to earn our way up and get out the pit by ourselves. But we can't, there's a massive chasm, which is where the incarnation, Jesus, God with flesh on, he came down and he picks us up and he cleans us off. And he says, you're beautiful. My precious child, you're made in my image. I love you. Now, come on, live. Live. That's the offer this morning. Choose life. That's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, I've got more stories. I've got loads of stories of miraculous, but I think we'll stop there just to say five minutes. I mean, all right, that, give a story on this next guy then, an uh, S4, because uh, it's so phenomenal. But, you know, we, we've seen through this movement. It, this summer, we will send out, hopefully, you know, war notwithstanding, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to send out a thousand evangelists into the bush for two weeks, and they will cast out demons and heal the sick and get beaten up and get put in prison. And they'll probably lead, if other years and things go by, in those two weeks of saturation outreach, strategic, concentrated outreach. Think about a thousand people times eight hours a day times 14 days. That's a lot of outreach, isn't it? They'll probably lead 10,000 people to Jesus. And we've seen loads of crazy stories. In one, one instant, this lady said, F off, you know, we don't want to listen to your Jesus. And some of our mates will do that, won't they? I mean, they're not interested, and you respect that. So they're like, all right, easy, tiger. And then, uh, and then um, actually, she said, no, all right, come back, come back. I, I, I'll listen to you if you heal this demon-possessed girl. So what she was saying is, don't just talk a good game. Show us the power. And so they gathered around. The whole village came to watch. Everyone knew this girl was demon-possessed. I mean, a lot of us don't even believe in demons. That's because of our blind worldview, you know. We're from a, a different context. Well, let's just say she was mentally ill. And, and some people are mentally ill, and some people are demon-possessed. But in this culture, we don't, you know, the NHS doesn't believe in demons, so they'll give, they'll put them, they'll give them pills. Well, you know, pills will help someone who's medically ill. That's not going to help someone who's got a spiritual problem. So whether she's demon-sentiment or mentally ill, let's just see. So anyway, they start praying for this girl in the name of Jesus. All these demons manifest, you know, different voices spoke through her, and they were identified and cast out in the name of Jesus. And on the spot, that lady who a few minutes before was saying, F off, was now on her knees with 20 other people in the village giving their lives to Christ because they saw the higher power. Now that's Jesus. And he can do that for you this morning as well, if that's uh, 
Your kind of background. Okay, let's leave the pictures and let's look at the scriptures. Choose life. Choose life if you want a title for the talk. And, uh, you know, I've said said this at the weekend. uh, I've been talking at uh, Proximity. uh, But I said that, you know, over the last year and some, I have listened to so much gunfire. And sometimes you're listening to an hour gun battle, 500 yards, a mile away. And you're thinking, how many people are dying right now? And you guess to play this freakishly weird, surreal, guesstimating game of, you know, maybe 100 people are dying right now. And then in the morning, I get the tweet, and the tweet says that one person died, which means that so many bullets did not achieve their intended, lethal, fatal intention, aim. And this morning, I want to fire, I think I'm going to cut one out again for time, but I'm going to fire nine of you quickly. So it's a nine-point sermon, which is a bit grim, isn't it? But uh, essentially, it's nine bullets. It's nine bullets, and they are life-giving bullets, but hopefully they might be painful to receive, but they will bring you life, and they will change your life completely. And my prayer is not that all nine, because you'd just be so nuked, you know, you won't be able to handle that. But, But maybe one or two, two at the most, I think. Okay, so that has been my prayer this morning, coming to talk to you guys, is that one or two bullets are going to profoundly uh, affect your life so that we don't leave say, the same. And if we leave each Sunday the same, then we're missing it, aren't we? Okay, so let's look at the scriptures. You've got your Bibles, and we're looking at it pretty concentratedly, so let's go for it. Deuteronomy, is this, I want you to imagine yourself, you are the Jewish people. I mean, we're not, but imagine yourself in that scene. Moses is God's representative. He's talking to God's people on, on God's behalf, and, you know, sometimes when I look at the Old Testament and I, you read the life of the Israelites, you think, what a bunch of Muppets, because, you know, they saw the power of God, didn't they? They were rescued, the ten plagues, and then the Passover, and deliverance, and the Dead Sea parted, and, and manna from heaven, and, and, you know, they saw extraordinary stuff from God, but so quickly they slipped back into moaning, and distrust, and grumpiness, and complaining, and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, what a bunch of losers. But then I think, well, I'm like that as well. And maybe you'll you recognize how fickle you are too in your journey. I feel I'm very fickle. So, I'm so quick to think, God, have I just missed this? And so this morning, in humility, let's sit under God's word and, and see what he has to say to us, imagining ourselves in the position of the Israelites. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, It's not up in heaven so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is near you. It's in your your heart and in your mind so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice and hold fast to him. And then things will go well for you in the land you are entering to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I set for you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, and, uh, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years on the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life. Okay, let's go. First one. So these are choices that Israelites have to make and that we have to make. First one, are you going to choose clarity 
or trust. Clarity or trust. Most of us, we are insisting in our journey. We want clarity. We want all our ducks in a row. We want to know what's coming ahead. And the Israelites are like that, and they're fine to follow God, so long as things were hunky-dory and they knew where they are going. But as soon as things got tough and they didn't see the road ahead, they freaked out. They, 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 their default was distrust and, and complaining. Now, this is challenging for us, isn't it? And he says, he says that. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply that it was quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply that it's still quite a stretch. Yeah. Trusting him is, is challenging for us. Mother Teresa's House of the Dying, she received this guest called John Kavanagh. He was a brilliant uh, ethicist. And uh, he went there to seek clarity for the rest of his life. Uh, that, was, that was why he went. It was like a sabbatical. And he went there. And as was often the case in the first day with newbies, you know, Mother Teresa came alongside him and said, uh, um, can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, bring on. You can pray for me. That's why I've come 3,000 miles. is to get the great Mother Teresa to speak into my life. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Can you pray that God gives me clarity? For, the, for, the, for my future. And, and her indignant response just shocked him. She said, no, I will certainly not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you're holding on to and you need to let go of. He's like, what? I mean, you, the great mother Teresa, you look like you've got clarity in your, in your life. She said, I've never, I've never had clarity in my life. What I have had was and is Trust. And so I pray for you, that you trust him. Amen? That's the first one. <laughs> Second one. Well, first of all, I just realized I've forgotten. Wherever I go, I say, and I'm, I'm very blessed already. Thank you if you've given money to our ministry. That's not why I'm here this morning, though. Uh, you know, I'm fired up to see people's lives changed. And wherever I go, I say, you've got your own missionary, support them. But what you can give me is pray. Please pray. Please, please pray. We are in a hell of a We are an imploding, failing state right now. You know, my wife and kids, they're back there. We've got an emergency bag packed. Uh, we've got fans on at night so they can't hear the shooting. It's very, very intense. And I'd love you to pray. And I've, I just put a few forms out there in different places. And, and do you want to just pass it on now? Pass it on there, that one. Grab it. And if you don't want to sign up, don't. But about six times a year, I'm going to send you out a few incredible stories and encouragement to pray. And that's why we're still alive. And that's why our ministry is flourishing in the, in the most grim context. So don't feel you have to sign up or just pass it on. Clarity or trust. Next one, obedience or disobedience. Look at verses uh, uh, 16 and onwards. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But, verse 17, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship, then I declare to you this day, you will, you will be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? But, I mean, but it, but it, it kind of makes sense. Let's just take the principle in the New Testament there uh, that you know, if we obey, things are going to go much better than if we choose to disobey. And the consequence for them was death. Their disobedience led to death. Now, are we going to obey or are we going to disobey? Because obedience means submitting ourselves to a higher authority, doesn't it? It involves humility. And the Israelites just so often slipped into disobedience, which led to a cycle of consequences and brokenness and then repentance and restoration, but then disobedience again. They didn't seem to learn from their lessons, and we can learn from their lessons rather than having to reinvent, re-go around the wheel. God wants you to obey. What does obedience look like for you this morning? 
Are we compromising our integrity in, in the workplace? Are we, are we toning down the gospel? Are, we, are, are our sexual practices consistent with what the scripture wants in terms of uh, you know, waiting until marriage? And, and not because God's a killjoy, but because he, it's such a precious gift and it's so abused. What does obedience look like for you? Because uh, this is a quote from theologian Tozo. He says, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite enough. The next time it will move you less and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. I don't know if you can relate to that. There have been times in my life where I've actively chosen to disobey or even procrastinate, which can be a form of disobedience when God is saying, move. And then we just get taken out, and then we stop hearing his voice because we've hardened our hearts. Disobedience or obedience. Next one. <laughs> Cynicism or action. The, uh, again, the Israelites were a cynical bunch, weren't they? So negative. Glass was always half empty. Well, I think we're a cynical bunch too. Let's, let's, you know, any, any cynics in the house? Uh, well, we're certainly a cynical nation. We are a cynical nation. Now, uh, Notice I've said cynicism or action. I haven't said cynicism or optimism because actually one, some of you might think that in our cynical age the antidote to optimism would be, uh, sorry, cynicism would be optimism, but it's not. It's, it's action. It's action that's born out of hope. You know, cynicism gives up on believing the world can be changed and that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So Jim Wallace writes this. He says, ultimately, cynicism protects you from commitment. If things are not really going to change, well, why try so hard to make a difference? And if you have middle-class economic security, as many cynics do, things don't have to change for you to remain secure. That's not intended to sound harsh, just realistic. Cynics are finally free to look after themselves. And perhaps the only people who view the world realistic are the cynics and the saints. Everybody else may be living in some kind of denial about what's really going on, how things really are. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. So preaching this to myself. Hope's not a feeling, it's a decision. And the decision for hope is based on what you believe at the deepest levels. You choose, I choose, we choose hope, not as a naive wish, but as a choice with our eyes wide open to the reality of the world, just like the cynics who have made the decision not to hope. Cynics in the house, you need to hear that. Choose action. Get out there, get your hands dirty. Next one, urgency or apathy. Now, the Israelites had bursts of urgency, didn't they? When they had the cracked troops up their backsides, you know, being chased into the desert. I guess they were legging it then, but very quickly they slip back into apathy, languid apathy. Now, let's be honest. If we had a, a scale here of radical urgency for Jesus at this end, and you know, complete apathy here, I wonder where, where you would self-diagnose. And I suspect, if we're honest, we'd probably more self-diagnose along this, a lot of us. Now, this is where it's so much easier for me, because if you, you know, for years I've lived in Burundi thinking I was going to die next week. And if you think you're going to die next week or next month, you are not going to sit for six hours playing on your PlayStation or whatever it is. You know, because there's too much to live for. Life's too precious. 
urgency or apathy. One time I was preaching on a Congolese border, and it's a parable of the ten virgins. You remember that, Matthew 25? And these ten girls invited, they all had a role to play, but five just weren't ready. And so they, were, they had to run off, they didn't have enough oil, they had to run off and buy some more. Meantime, the wedding party came in, doors shut, rampant celebration inside, because that's the kingdom of God. But those who are late, they, they heard this horrible word, when they knocked on the door, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. That's the most horrific thing to hear, isn't it? And my point, that's not a rocket science uh, parable. Some of Jesus' parables are more challenging to understand. That one's not. My point's where Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? A bunch of people responded, but a bunch of people didn't, for whatever reason. Now, two days later, I'm on my motorbike driving towards that village. I'm stopped at a roadblock. Soldiers say, you can't go further on. Those people are being killed in a rebel attack. And it's all hit me, as, you know, as never before, the urgency of the word of God. Because two days before, they couldn't have believed it, could they? Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? And if they weren't ready, the Bible's clear about them facing a crisis eternity. That's grim. You know, because actually, if our mates, if our colleagues, if our family members, if our neighbors, if they go to God, ultimately, he says, I respect that. Your will be done into eternity. That's heavy, isn't it? But if we believe that, that's orthodox Christianity. That is going to infuse us with a sense of urgency. I love this from Smith Wigglesworth. He says, live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. Opportunity doesn't wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. Be filled with the Spirit. That is, be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked that every thread in the fabric of your life will have received the requisite rule of the Spirit. And then when you are misused and squeezed to the wall... All that will ooze out of you will be the very nature of Christ. Are you ready? Are you living ready? <laughs> Next one. Gratitude or grumpiness. Oh, the Israelites want to smack them in the face. But actually, we probably want to need smacking in the face ourselves, don't we? Because we complain even when we get manna. They got manna and quail. You know, I'd love to taste that. Maybe it did get a bit boring. But you know what? Incredible. So they were so quick to complain to grumble, to groan. And we've got the choice between gratitude and grumpiness. And as goodness me, as Brits, we need to hear that, don't we? Because that's our national pastime is moaning, isn't it? Now, the biggest lesson I learned on this was when these guys were trying to kill me and uh, you know, I got a death threat letter and they said they're going to cut out my eyes. Now, was that, a fun, was that a fun experience? Of course it wasn't fun. But it was one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord, for these piddly little things. Thank you for the gift of eyesight. What a gift. And so whenever I'm tempted to get down, self-pity and depressed about my lot in life, I just go through all the gifts. Romans 12 says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, give your life, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. The Greek word for mercy there is plural, it's mercies. So this is, a, this is a complete life skill you can adopt right now. It will change your life. When you're tempted to complain, just go through the mercies of God in your life. I can see. I've just recently come out of two years of chronic fatigue. My body's working. Brilliant. Thank you, Lord. Some of us... Can't say that this morning, you know, but there's loads of things you can say. You've got about 15 of those things in your house that you turn, and life-giving, clean water comes out. You don't have to walk 10 miles to get it with a 20-litre jerry can. All of us, I'm guessing, we can read and write. Well, I think of a girl in one of our youth camps. She confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three quid for her school fees. And, I, and you girls are like, I wouldn't do that. You would have done that. Because otherwise you'd still be illiterate in second grade. There's no room to judge, is there? 
And we've got freedom in this nation to say Jesus is Lord. As you've got 250 million Christians around the world right now who are suffering or under oppressive regimes where to say Jesus is Lord means losing your job, kicked out of your family, imprisonment, torture, death. Are we going to use that freedom? Have we used it this week? Will we use it? Are we taking it for granted? Gratitude or grumpiness. You know, there's loads more, but again, I'm, uh, I'm you know, trying to respect the time. Next one. Faith or fear. It's a massive one, isn't it? Think... The Israelites were so fearful. They'd seen the provision of God. They'd seen the faithfulness of God in action. And yet so quickly their default was fear. And I think many of us, we actually live out of a paradigm of fear. You know, sort of unpack the last significant decision you made. Not, you know, whether you had sugar on your breakfast, you know, on your cereal ever. But, you know, big decision. And peel away the layers. And what was the root of motivation of that decision? Was it out of a paradigm of faith or of fear? You know, do... Did we do that to cover our bases in the future to make sure they've got enough money to provide? You know, or are we trusting God? Because God's got big hands. He is absolutely trustworthy. You know, on one occasion, I was driving the most dangerous road in the world at the time. You know, once we drove along, 40 people were killed that day, four ambushes, and we got through. And... Uh, my, on this one occasion, my colleague looked across at me with a glint in his eye and said, Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. <laughs> isn't that right? Isn't that right? Yeah. Now, I was single back then. I'm married now. So maybe things change a bit, but, you know, let's not make excuses. And the best thing we can model for the next generation is a life of faith and not fear. Last few, pff, the way of comfort or the way of the cross. Now, clearly... In this passage, in the context, it's, it's pre-cross, but, you know, they, 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 Jesus was coming later. But uh, the, the, the Israelites wanted comfort. They didn't like it when it was uncomfortable. And we, in the New Testament, are, are, are given the choice now, post-Jesus, he says, are you going to follow me and take up your cross daily, denying yourself and follow me? Or are you going to have this pathetic, kushti, western diluted, domesticated Christianity. Now, clearly that's not what we're about at Ivy. I know that, because I know your leaders. But it's what often it's being modeled. And, uh, you know, I would just picture me, my, we're out of church in Burundi right now. We're now in front of you. But, um, you know, my church in the crisis when it kicked in, we were, we were 150 normally. We were down to 30. People fled the country, people were too scared to leave, you know, bullets flying sort of thing, leave their house in the morning. And I, and I went to church, this would be lit, probably literally Sunday a year ago. And I'm looking around, tears are coming. I'm thinking of Ephraim, my colleague, whose four-year-old daughter is wetting herself every time she hears gunfire now. Just traumatized. So it could be 10 times a day. And I'm thinking of, you know, a colleague here who's got six kids and he's lost his job. And there's no social security system out there, so how the heck, you know, how on earth? You know, I cannot imagine not being able to provide for my children. And I just, I just wrote a blog on this. Uh, the, 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 let me just share it to you briefly. There, there is a noble, that's, that's my context. There is a noble defiance in worshipping God in the midst of grim circumstances. That is where the curse of comfort. That was the name of the blog, The Curse of Comfort. That's where the curse of comfort comes in. And I don't want to criticize Western Christianity, but as products of our consumer cultures, we invariably end up conforming rather than being transformed. 
terms of Romans 12 too, acting as thermometers which reflect the reality of the environment rather than thermostats which set the very temperature and alter the whole environment. Thus, we often unwittingly craft ourselves a more comfortable consumer cross. And our whole worship experience can end up feeling shallow and anemic. You know, it's so hard, sorry, it's so easy to turn to comfort when things are tough, be it Facebook, chocolate, sex, TV, whatever, but turning to comfort in the crisis rather than to Christ. And it's no wonder that my own most intimate corporate spiritual experiences in the West have been with the most obviously broken people, tramps, alcoholics, prisoners, who don't feel the need to maintain the facade that their lives are all in order. You see, God doesn't love us sophisticated people more than them, or them more than us, but what they do have over us is discomfort. They've been stripped of the mixed blessing or curse of comfort, and in their brokenness, stench, and unpolished desperation, God is extremely close. Now, I don't know your life situation right now, but if you're going through a hell of a time, God is extremely close. He wants you to know that. If you're going through a great time, God is still extremely close, but you probably don't, not so bothered about it. But we need to know that, to live in that. Comfort or the way of the cross. Relationship or rules. You know, verse 16 to 18 sounds very transactional, doesn't it? You do this and this will happen. If you don't, that will happen. And, and we can get quite transactional with God. And we can think, actually, it's all about rule obeying. And, and some people, well, there'll be millions of people in churches around the world right now under the umbrella of Christendom and, and religion in general where they, they think it's all about rules. You know, if you, just, you know, tick those boxes and do that, then you'll, you'll get a ticket to heaven. I mean, it's crassus, you know. Uh, expression. And, and <clears throat> you know, that's wrong. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's not what Jesus is about. If you've come this morning to tick a box, you know, to, the, you know, to, to rule about once a week on Sunday, you know, that's, that's not it. Now, I suspect most of us, that's not us, but maybe some of us, it's still, well, the Old Testament was all about rules, and the New Testament's all about relationship. The Old Testament's all about law. The New Testament's all about grace. Well, <clears throat> that's also wrong. It was always about relationship. God always wanted relationship with his people. A few verses earlier, back in Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says, don't think I've chosen you, Israelites, because you're any better than anyone else. No. God just wants relationship with us. There's a lady in a horrifically abusive marriage, and this, her husband would beat her up every day because what he would do is that he would draw up a very demanding list of household chores that she, she had to do before he arrived back in the evening. And, and if she hadn't done everything... He'd come back and tick him off, one missing, beat her up. And she never was able to do everything on that list. And I think we can say, praise God, that man died. Because she was released from that abusive situation. Now, fast forward a few years, and she meets a lovely man who doesn't lay a finger on her inappropriately, who who helps her flourish and, you know, be the woman she's meant to be, and and they get married. And... uh, you know, he's, she's a housewife, and he's a busy guy with his job, fresh professional out there. And uh, so, so, but there were no lists. But she, you know, she just took care of her house and did, did, did her thing. Now, one day, a few months into their marriage, you know, she's, she's tidying up the house. It's towards the end of the day. And lo and behold, behind the sofa, out comes this piece of paper, scrumpled note. And what is it? It's one of the old lists from the previous husband. And she looked through it. And she started ticking off what she'd done that day. 
and she'd done it all. What she had never been able to do under the yoke of fear and oppression, forced to, in an abusive relationship, in the beautiful freedom of a loving, releasing relationship, she'd done it. Now, some of us here this morning, you're with the wrong husband. So that's, that's a really dangerous way of saying it. Uh, <laughs> hear what I'm saying. If you're in a tough marriage, stick with it, unless there's major abuse like that, because that's, that's, that's heavy. But some of us are stuck with the old husband in terms of how we see God. And Jesus just loves you to bits. There's a, there's a lovely story at the end of a book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And uh, it's a story of a guy called Stephen Brown. He's got his daughter, Robin. And Robin's, I'm guessing, about 17 years old. And it's in America, so she's at college. And, and she's got to do this. She, she, she's com- completely consumed and eaten up by the fact that she's got to do this, this English module. Uh, and, you know, it's affecting her sleep and she can't eat. And, and Stephen Brown, as a, as a dad, he's like, you know, what would you not do for your daughter? And he's just desperate. To, to help solve her problem. And so he takes her in to the college and, and he meets, well, they go in, there's this lovely wise Jewish professor lady and she can see that Robin's on the edge of tears so she dismisses everyone. Uh, and then he says, right, ma'am, I'm here to please just let my daughter Robin get out of this uh, course. Just, uh, you know, maybe she, maybe she, be, can, she can do some other modules, you know, to fulfill what the course requirements. So, and the woman just said, look, can I, can I have a word with Robin first? And she turned to Robin and said, Robin, do you think you could do this course if I gave you an A before you even started? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Okay, Robin, I'm giving you an A. You've got an A before you've even started, now off you go. Then she turned to Steve and said, I've just taken away the fear, she's gonna be fine. And the beautiful end of that story is that Robin went on and got straight A's in that course on her own merit. But you see, brothers and sisters, that's how God deals with us. Because of Christ's finished work, Christians already have an A. The threat of failure, judgment, and condemnation has been removed. We're in forever. Nothing we do can make our grade any better. Nothing we do will make our grade any worse. In his life, by his death, through his resurrection, Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the everything, the A, that we come into this world longing for, yet are incapable of securing for ourselves. All the the, the, the pardon, the purpose, the approval, the the cleansing, the reconciliation, the the meaning, the, the affection we crave and long for, they are already ours in Christ. You don't need to add anything to it. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian, the unconditional, uh, unrestrained grace of God in the completed work of Christ. So relax and rejoice. The banner under which we live reads, it is finished. You're free. Amen? So last one, choose life. Life or death. Get that in 15 and verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I set for you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children can live. Choose life. The story of a family in an African village in the, in the, in the bush and uh, during the night the house burnt down and uh, at the last minute everyone died in the house apart from the last minute someone reached in and plucked out this baby boy. And the next morning, the whole village met to discuss the, the fate of this boy. That, According to you know, their worldview, the spirits, the ancestors had protected this boy, so he must be special. And so they had a, a, a ding-dong about who was going to have ownership of, the, of this child, adopt this child. And, and the, the chief of the village said, I'm the chief, so I'm going to take him. 
And the richest man said, no, 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 no. I've got the most money. I can provide him with the best education, so let me have it. And the witch doctor said, no, 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 no. This, this child's got special spiritual powers. Let me nurture them. And the neighbor said, no, no, no. His father actually had an unpaid debt. And so I will take the boy as the unpaid debt. And then a relative, nobody came forward and said with authority, no, the baby's mine. And they're like, what's your claim? Who are you? And then he just opened his hands. And his hands were blistered and charred and burnt. And he said, the baby's mine because I saved him. Every single one of us in this room, Jesus lays claim to your life. He says, why? Because I saved you. That's how far, they're not blistered, burnt, charred in Jesus' case. What are they? Pierced, nailed. And he didn't love us a bit, he loved us. He gave it all. So that you can choose life. He became death for us to become life. He became a, a curse so that we could be blessed. Why don't you stand? So think through all those. Think through all those bullets. And uh, why don't you shut your eyes? What's it for you? Is it clarity or trust? Is it obedience or disobedience? Is it cynicism or action? Is it urgency or apathy? Is it gratitude or grumpiness? Faith or fear? The way of the cross or the way of comfort? Relationship or rules? Choose life, life or death. Now, surely some of those bullets have rammed home. I particularly want to address those that haven't yet chosen life. If, you, if this is all new to you or you've been exploring it and you know, you're thinking of Jesus right now and he's opening his arms and he died on the cross to pick you out of the toilet, that's what grace is. And he cleans you off. He took all the poo on himself so that you could be beautiful and you are beautiful as soon as you turn to him. So if that's you, if you want, if you're recognizing that Jesus died in my place so that I could begin new life under his banner, in his name, receiving that A. Wow, what freedom. As we pray, let's all just bow our heads and press in now as we're going to worship God. But if you want to receive and choose life right now, just stick your hand up with me. Choose life. Brilliant. Best decision you'll ever make. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Keep them coming. No scare tactics, no manipulation. I do think of that example from Matthew 25. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? It's important to get ready. Lord, I bless my brothers and sisters there who've taken that decision. Those of you that have done that afterwards, come and and talk to us. Come and talk to leadership so we can get you plugged in because you're a new baby, really, spiritually speaking. And we need to give you milk and then solid food. Lord, right now for all of us, we just, let, why don't you lift your hands? All of us, let's lift our hands. If you're hungry, if you're hungry, if you're not, keep your hands down. But this is just saying, I am hungry, Lord. I received that painful bullet. Well, they're not all painful. Some of them are just beautiful. Thank you, Lord, that I've already got an A. Lord, may we leave and live out our lives as 
people that know we've got an A. That doesn't mean everything's perfect, that things don't need to change, but we live under that banner. It is finished. Lord, forgive us. We must repent. Forgive us for our lack of urgency, for our apathy, for our grumpiness, for our cynicism, for our disobedience, for insisting on a pucker, comfortable cross. Lord, there's lots to repent of this morning, but in doing that, we receive your freedom and we choose life. We choose life. Bless your name. Bless your name. Let's respond in worship. Keep pressing in, keep pressing in and leave. Please leave with two questions. Which bullet was for you and what are you going to do about it? So if you came alone, find a mate. If you came with family, go back. Which bullet over lunch, which bullet was for you and what are you going to do about it? Thank you, Lord. We choose life. We at Ivy, we choose life. And help us to be agents of transformation in Manchester and beyond. Come Holy Spirit right now. We welcome you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.